0: comment, and share. We have with us the man of the hour who needs an introduction. Now, earlier this morning on the broadcast with me and CJ, we talked about what Matt is going to bring forward today because yesterday, you know, he was researching some things, especially what's going on with the recent news coming out of NATO that Finland and Sweden are looking to join them. And Matt came upon some Amazing discoveries that most people have overlooked or haven't paid attention to. He's going to be covering that as well as a myriad of other different topics. So make sure you're strapped in today. You got your seatbelts on, you got your notebook ready, and a cup of coffee because we're about to get real deep into the, all the stuff. So, Matt, welcome, welcome. And folks, you can find his work over at the CanadianPatriot.org, Canadian Patriot.org, yeah, Canadian Patriot.org, yeah, and Hello. the Rising Tide Foundation.net. Support Matt's work over at his Substack at substack.com forward slash Matthew Errett, As well as the links to his books, make sure you get the books. In order to understand where we are today, where we're going, get volume 1, 2, and 3 of his latest book. you got to get it, folks. It is a must-read. And all the links will be in the description box as this will be fully featured, especially on roguenews.com. And with that being said, and also this will be rebroadcasted on Matt's website, canadianpatriot.org. As well as the Telegram chat. Reach out to Matt, get involved in the Telegram chat. Matt and his wife, Cynthia, they do an amazing job putting together teaching symposiums. Folks, it is so well worth it. It is so well worth it. I cannot emphasize to you enough the value that is brought because it would take me forever to hunt down books because you can't find this stuff on the internet anymore. I mean, Google's good for nothing, it's, it's just an advertising engine. That's all it is at this point. You can't find anything anymore. So for me to hunt down books, it'd be impossible. So what do I do? I go to the risingtidefoundation.net. I sit through Matthew Arrett's lectures, and I'll tell you right now, you're going to be blown away. With that being said, Matthew Arrett,
1: how are you, sir? Hey, guys uh for that for that nice nice intro as always um cj you want to you want to share what you got inside you as best you can and and hopefully people can be inspired to want to read um some some bigger things that they would normally not want to after they go through our our uh discussions um because yeah we we do we do need to really break free i think of a lot of the um the noise of, uh, of social media and, and everything else with the information overload. And just I think it's, it's so valuable just to like detach for a few hours every week and just like read a book. So so you can go back to uh, the fluctuating world of chaos that we live in with so much more poise and, uh, and a compass uh, that works to navigate through the storm so much better. Uh, but I'm happy that you guys today were discussing the uh, the messed up or the very I mean, it is messed up. But the, the very interesting anomaly of, of Finland's uh, past, right? Yeah, absolutely. Their, their interesting Air Force logo. So, okay, this is nothing that I'm going to necessarily... I'm not going to blow a lot of people's minds away, but I'll, we'll try to add a bit more to that story because it wasn't much of a discovery. Honestly, all it was was, oh, you got new members jo- wanting to join NATO, Sweden and Finland? Okay, they must have a big Nazi past and maybe that they're trying to revive, I would imagine, you know? So I just typed in Nazi Finland and just see what pop- popped up, right? <laughs> That's all it was. It wasn't a discovery. And sure enough, as soon as you do that, you know, I'll just, for people who haven't seen, or maybe they missed your episode this morning, uh let's we'll do a screen share here. Um, Share. This is the sort of thing you would expect to see. Okay, you guys can see that? Uh, other than the yes. antivirus messages?
0: Yes, there you go.
1: Okay, so up until 2020, um, going to a military parade in Finland would uh, bring you these sorts of sights of people in blue, the Air Force, walking around with uh, these little nice flags with with little wings of what seems to be peace dubs or something. And uh, a, a strange little symbol in the middle that you might recognize. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, the swastika! The swastika! This thing is everywhere. Um, And this was not just something that was in world war ii on their aircraft because obviously the finnish the finland government in world war ii were allied with the nazis um they were key in, in operation barbarossa um a lot more atrocities the the extermination of slavs of jews um massive atrocities carried out by Waffen ss affiliated finnish volunteers and soldiers um, completely sanitized past, but they didn't just do this. Then this was their official symbol of their air force until 2020 officially. Um, And then it still remains in some of the air force school buildings that are currently still being used. I think the official symbol now they, they changed the, uh, the swastika into an Eagle as if that also has no connection to the Nazis, but whatever. Um, So That's that's weird. The thing was, okay. well, what was here? Let me just do a stop screen share. How do I stop share? Okay. All right. So that doesn't necessarily mean they still have a Nazi problem in the old old, like in the conventional sense of the word. Sure enough, it does seem like almost any new member of NATO to become a member of NATO. You have to be glorifying Nazi collaborators in your past and you have to kind of be reviving or doing a revisionism of your history to make it the Soviets seem like they were the bad guys in world war II. That almost seemed you see it in Estonia. There's a giant uh, Nazi problem with uh, the, the Estonian uh, state government funding. What's called the, um, uh, the ERNA here. I got it written down here. The, uh, the Erna saboteur SS Waffen SS group of Finland, which has currently been revived in 1993 and is still being, um, they're doing reenactments. They've got monuments um, that are funded by the Estonian defense ministry. To the Waffen-SS collaborators. Um, very, very hardcore. You got you got divisions that have been deployed into Ukraine, working alongside the Azovs. And uh, in Lithuania, again, you have a giant, the parliament voted in 2020 to honor their Nazi-Lithuanian collaborators. Uh, this guy, uh, Jwotsas Luksa, um, who was the pro-Hitler-Lithuanian activist front that he ran in the 1940s. Um, that ran mass, uh, again, massacres. Armenia, same thing. You have Garegin Nizde, who uh, commanded the 30,000-man Armenian army to collaborate with the Nazis and the Waffen-SS. Um, and it's like everywhere you go, everywhere you look. Uh, now, today we're going to talk about Sweden and Finland. But first, I think it's interesting that just a few hours ago, you guys heard what Erdogan said, right? Uh, I, I didn't hear what, what he said now. What he said. Well, he basically doubled down. He said, there's no way that we're going to, uh, that I'm not going to veto uh, Sweden and Finland joining, which is causing a bit of a, um, a shitstorm, to say the least. I don't know whether he's going to stay solid on this. I certainly hope he will, but he's been going through a lot of pressure, obviously, to bend and permit. Now, the thing with NATO is it requires unanimous assent, uh, consent to have a new member in NATO. Um, it's a big deal because if any individual, if somebody's writing no sound, Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you guys can hear me? Yeah, it must be them. Uh, If you can't hear the sound, turn it up, but I think you're coming through fine. I'll go check. I'll go check real quick to confirm, but you should be good. Okay. So yeah, Turkey pretty much said, okay, well, the problem is Sweden is a giant international harbor of terrorism and uh, they're sanctioning us for having purchased Russian S-400s. So, and they said, you know, Finland's also harboring terrorism. And so we're not going to do this. We're not going to let them come in. Uh, Croatia earlier on had also said something similar, but I think they were threatened and they, they bent, they buckled um, Turkey. I'm again, hoping that they stay firm to their, their word and actually like stand, you know, because you don't want the, these things coming in. Finland obviously, obviously shares, what is it? an 800 mile border with Russia. Um, they had a swastika as their official uh, military symbol for a century until 2020. As I just said, they, have a giant history that, that is being whitewashed of their collaboration with the Nazis in World War II. They're trying to make it sound like, uh, what's his name? Carl uh, Manaheim, who is the head of the Finnish military, was actually a great patriot. Um, he's, he's literally celebrated across both Finnish but also Western mainstream press as a great patriot of... Finland who just simply tried to keep Finland alive from two aggressive evil forces Russia and Germany and did the best he could it's sort of like the same thing we hear coming out of those who defend uh, Stefan Bandera now maybe Mannerheim might have been a little less enthusiastic about exterminating people but he wasn't uh unenthusiastic about exterminating Russians um and he worked very closely with the Swedes too you know the Swedish the Swedes were nominally um neutral during World War II that's good, but they weren't really neutral. They were so. If right. you again look at things like Operation Barbarossa, um, that was the major 1941 assault on Russia, uh, where Russia just absorbed the majority of the entire German Wehrmacht. It occurred largely through or big a big point of attack was Finland and Sweden gave all of their transport, communications corridors, and everything else to Nazi troops to provide troops as well as military equipment um, that would be brought into um, Finland, where you had something like 400,000 German and Finnish troops at the highest point um, on the border. Finland was providing their airfields for bombing campaigns against Russia uh, to the Nazis. And, uh, you know, on top of this, it wasn't like they were just def- on a defensive course. People say, oh, yeah, but they had their own... Um, war with Russia before they started working with the the Nazis, what's called the four month Winter War, and uh, and so you know the, the the Russians were very bad during the Winter War, and the Russians were the ones who instigated and invaded them. It's like, well, not really. If you if you look at this four month Winter War between what was it, nineteen thirty nine November to uh, March nineteen forty, this was a a bad war. Um, the, the Finnish ended up losing something like. 20,000 soldiers. They lost 11% of their territory by the end of the war to the Russians, um, which represented one of the biggest, um, you know, centers of economic power. However, this did, Russia did everything to stop the Winter War from happening. They had a mutual security pact. I mean, you got to keep in mind the year before that, you had the Munich Agreement. What was the Munich Agreement? That was Britain organizing, um, a variety. This is the 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 piece that would that would be the forever piece of Neville Chamberlain and, and secret to ensure that Russia would be able to take control of first Austria and then uh, Poland. Uh, sorry, and then Czechoslovakia. Um, carry power than the Germans did at that time, and the British performing their their ancient art of secret diplomacy and backstabbing were able to get to to persuade the idiot. Uh, leaders in Czechoslovakia to acquiesce to Hitler's demands on almost every point and ensure that Hitler was able to really relatively peacefully walk in and just take control of all of Czechoslovakia's military equipment, doubling, if not more, uh, Hitler's military capabilities to then carry out further uh, atrocities in Poland and then beyond. Um, And all the way up until Poland, Britain through the Munich agreement was orchestrating and, and helping to facilitate the growth of the Wehrmacht, the growth of the Reich. Um, and the idea was, you know, the new world order was going to be premised around a tripartite agreement of carving up the world amongst the Anglo-American um, fascists that were at war with Roosevelt that had tried to kill Roosevelt twice, um, who was doing battle with them on a multitude of levels. And they would control sort of the, the, the jurisdiction of a certain of, of North America, Central America, um, certain chunks of Europe and, uh, in you know, India would fall under the control of the British. Um, Mussolini was to gain control of big areas of North Africa, some areas of Latin America, same for Franco and Japan was going to get control of China, a little bit more of Asia. And, uh, Germany was going to get control of the heartland of, of Russia, you know, as their, their, their resource zone of extraction in some others, other areas. So there was this whole plan for a new world order that the british had been organizing um russia was watching and waiting for the inevitable assault that the that the germans had they made it very clear that russia was going to be a slave zone that they saw the slavic race as an intermention an so for stalin it was a question of but, not but the funny thing away. is the ukrainians yeah. never saw
0: themselves as an the intermention the you Ukrainians know, are, have, have yeah. recently swallowed this mythology about themselves. is insane, but go ahead, Matt.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you get a lot of weird ideologies. Like it's these cultish ideologies of um, of supremacy that that we have this ancient myth that is that that makes us pure bloods, tied to some ancient Aryan civilization that was, you know, tied to the, the Atlanteans that had conquered and uh, the darker. Skinned races of India and and were the these were the Vikings and they have all of the these mythologies and right. there's like elements of truth to the evidence that there were there was a globally extended ancient uh, prehistoric maritime civilization that was probably quite advanced. We see evidence of of similar phonetic origins within sa- of Sanskrit, within uh, um, Indian languages, within Japanese languages, within uh, Germanic and other uh, European languages. So we see certain um, we could see the, the, the artifacts of a certain common set of, um, both languages, certain, uh, um, imagery like the swastika is something which we do see in South America. We see it in North Africa. We see it in the Vikings in dramatic runes going back thousands of years. We see it in India. So there, there are, um, there is a science to this ancient, uh, piecing together this ancient history, except what happened in the late 19th century is that the, the satanic oligarchs latched on and took control of the narratives and they started just creating lo- like different types of elitist cults that would then paint every individual group that they wanted to then manage as part of their 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 toolbox of sociopaths into the chosen people, um, regardless of what part of the world we're looking at. And so in, in Ukraine, they got their own myths. In Finland, I didn't... Uh, here, let me do a little screen share here, actually. Um, I just... Part of what's very important about uh, Finland is that when you look at those who collaborated with the Nazis, like Mannerheim, like the prime minister of Finland of of the 1940s, and even going back to the 30s and 20s, there was this greater Finland imperial ideology that Finland was destined to control, not like this is what they control. I think, uh, what is it? This is Finland today, right? That's the current border of Finland. That's Helsinki. That's Sweden. Norway's over there. Um, this is this is Russia, right? At that that whole border. Um, Saint Petersburg is about what is this like thirty miles away from Finland's border? Very close. It's within firing range. Um, this is the Greater Finland. So the ideology of those who are working with the Nazis actually saw it in their destiny to uh, control what's called uh, East Karelia, which today is the Autonomous East Karelian Republic of Russia. Um, they wanted. To, they thought that that was all in the Finnish possession. They, they thought that uh, it's, it, it's a it, zone it, of ancient people primal. going back to the Vikings and before that with Nordic myths that were uncontaminated by either Slavic or Scandinavian blood. Um, and this is what the, the Nazis were happy to promise them. So the Russians in this period were waiting and waiting for the inevitability of a, of a German assault. And so, what did they do it instead? Well, you yeah, had the 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 Ribbentrop, um, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. This was after the 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 Munich Accords, Accords were settled by the British to to help Germany expand and expand. And, and you guys have to have Alex Krainer on who can go into depth and detail. He wrote some seriously yeah, amazing on. Uh, articles on this. But you know the the point was. Russia needed to bide some time to secure their borders, to keep a buffer zone of some sort. So they they were able to manage mutual uh, security pacts with Estonia, with Latvia, with Lithuania, basically to keep them out of Hitler's clutches. And in the same time, they were able to concede and give some possessions, um, territories to these these regions. And they made the same offer to Finland to say to Finland, look your 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 high value real estate right now just have a sign a mutual security pact with us we'll give you even they said some of east Karelia in the north you have to concede and give us some of your territory in the south which we need to have control over so that we can fight the nazis because it's going to happen um and uh unlike their other eastern european neighbors the finnish absolutely said no mannerheim said absolutely field marshal mannerheim said absolutely no way he had been preparing he had his uh, sword and scabbard uh, um, speech that he delivered um, pretty soon thereafter saying that I promised that in our 1919 war um, against the, the Soviets that I would not put my sword back in my scabbard I- until the day where we are able to reclaim greater Finland and, and East uh, Karelia. And, and I'm going to stand to that to this very day. So the Russians were like, well geez you guys are making it pretty clear that you're going to work with the nazis uh it it was very very evident and there were um diplomatic transmissions between the finnish and the nazis pretty much agreeing we're told oh but goering was the one who instigated these secret uh diplomatic channels after the winter war was over because the the russians pretty much said okay we have to just go in and force you to now obey which is what the war was all about and they did they won they took some territory of finland like i said um, the Finnish, uh, generals got their asses kicked. They were very embarrassed. They wanted revenge. And even though we're told that it was Hermann Göring who set out the diplomatic, um, feelers to Mannerheim to say, look, can we now sign a, a, a military pact with Germany and, and Finland? Um, that's the, the cleanse narrative. The reality is that according to German SS generals who testified in 1945, it was Mannerheim who set out the the feelers to Göring to say, look, we're open for business. Now let's 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 destroy the Ruskies. And uh, the, 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 the treaties were put into motion now to uh, build up a, um, a Nazi military machine in Finland that would then go on to create operation Barbarossa. And now, again, like I said, it required the Swedish as well. And the, hi, here's the out of the story of the, the, not the, the swastika. The story is the Finnish swastika had nothing to do with the German swastika because the German Nazi party made it their emblem in 1920, but the Finnish air force adopted it as their emblem in 1919 when they were gifted a, uh, their first fighter jet by, uh, Carl Eric, Carl Eric von Rosen, part of an ancient von Rosen clan an, an old, an old family of nobles. They have castles, other things in Sweden. And he gave one of his planes, to the finish. And that became the basis for the Finnish um, air force. Now his plane was decorated with swastikas and we're told, Oh, but that was had nothing to do with the Nazis. That was just that he liked swastikas. That was his personal emblem. He'd seen them in, when he was in high school in 1901, looking at some Druidic ruins. And he liked it so much that he just made it his personal emblem of luck and good fortune and, and had it in his castles in Sweden and had it on his planes and everything. So nothing to do with the Nazis. Now, here's where the story starts to break down. He was also his personal pilot in 1919, 1920, 1921. His personal pirate was World War I, uh pilot war hero, Hermann Göring. Göring. Göring was the guy who drove this guy, or, who flew him around, right? From Sweden to his castles. And, and he was also one of the innovators. No coincidence. No, no coincidence, no. no. Um, yeah. Göring oh, no also, deal. in a 1920 storm, he he landed in... Uh, in forget which what, what one of his biggest castles is named out. I forget the name of it. And he stayed a couple of nights and that's where he met Carl, uh, Von Rosen's, um, sister-in-law who he fell in love with. She cheated on her husband. Actually, they ended up getting married. So they, he married a Von Rosen, uh, sister-in-law and became Von Rosen's, uh, brother-in-law. So on that point, you got a family connection right there. That's also where they say he fell in, you know, Goering fell in love with the Swiss, swastika's, now it's true the the other Nazi Party officials, high officers, were also in love with the Swastika before Goering, but it was a common thing amongst the the white Aryan um, occult networks of, of of secret societies that had become spread like a like a parasite, like a like a cancer, all over Europe at this point. Things like the Thule Society were just coming into being at this moment. Madame and, Blavatsky. Um, well, this is the thing, right? So you have the, because where did the Thula Society come from? And and my wife is, is condu- she's going to do a deep dive on this pretty soon. It's going to, I'm mm-hmm. sure going to be crazy, but the, you can't understand the Thula Society, which is sort of the inner satanic occult religion of the Nazis. Um, if you don't understand Madame Blavatsky and the Luciferian roots of the theosophists of, that were set up in 1875 because there was a, a, a branching off. There were two branching offs in Europe, one in Germany, actually two in Germany. Um, one was the uh, Rudolf Steiner who created the anthro- Anthrosophy um, group. He had a certain difference. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't overtly racist or anything. Um, there were still some problems with it that can be discussed in the future. But the, the other one that was more virulently, overtly racist was the, the group called the Ariosophy, set up by this guy, um, Otto, I think it's Otto von List. And uh, no, that's not his name. It's uh, Hugo von List. Uh, I'm forgetting. Anyway, a von List uh, set up this thing as a branching off where where he took all of the theosophist uh, occult doctrine and he gave it more of an Aryan white supremacist uh, polarization to it. And he set this thing up in 1902 where it was focused a little bit more on nordic runes the idea of mystical powers that you can get by configuring these different ancient runes um that uh, also partakes in a lot of witchcraft it was organized according to a a lodge system like a masonic type of lodge system with a hierarchy of degrees he was grandmaster that he s- set himself out and the swastika was a big part of the uh, mystical experience that you would go through as part of your memorization of the runes now the nazis every ss officer until 1940 had to be schooled they had to take a course on uh the secrets of the runes just to get for people to know how serious this was inside of the not the nazi governing ideology um they it's, really were it's, it's literally crazy it's nuts it's super it's nuts, nuts. That's the equivalent Dang. of me. Listen, uh, hey
0: Matt, CJ, I want you guys to join my elite echelon of distinguished gentlemen, but you're gonna have to do a, a crash course in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. What?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like they're treating the Lord of the Rings like it was ancient Real. history. Like, a- yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's <laughs> freaking nuts.
0: And there's a reason for that. And this is what people need to understand, Matt. You made a critical point in in our in our in our back and forth communications that you, me, and CJ were having, right? Like, like when you got when you started cutting your teeth on a lot of this occult stuff, right? This whole hidden knowledge and the esoteric and stuff. You know, we, and, and, and I, I, I kind of did the same early on in the beginning as well in my venture of awakening and stuff. We, we start throwing around jargon and terminology, but we don't fully understand or grasp it. Like you made a valid point. You said, you know, here I am talking about frequencies and vibrations and this and that uh, and, and this grand geometry, but I don't understand this mathematical... Aspects of this grand geometry to even break it down, right the actual math, the the actual math behind it, right Yeah. and it's the same thing when people are talking about you know oh there's these vibrations and energies and these megahertz and, and gigahertz and terahertz and this that and the other. but if you don't understand the, the actual physics, the actual science behind it, you kind of you kind of get lost in the sauce, and then you st- and you made a key point as to you know you, you talk about um, uh, Schiller. Friedrich Schiller, uh, the, the ghost seer, yeah, yeah, as and and then Plato, which is was very integral into cracking the whole entire thing wide open, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that was yeah. You want me, you want me to talk about
0: that? No, no, no. I was just making a comment about that. You can you know because I it's, you know my brain just like fired off. I'm like no, no, that
1: dude. I I mean it's all very important stuff because I mean yeah we we bend we bend her about um, bandy bandy is the word yeah. bandy about. Uh, words sometimes that um, we skip steps when we use a word we often don't think about the meaning of the word and the same thing for symbols and I was big into sacred geometry Um, I, because you know in my mind I was trying to make sense of a lot of the, the 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 lies the conspiracies that I was starting to try to you know peel the onion layer and you start seeing pretty quickly that there are these freemasonic forces there are um that's something you bang right into no matter what type you know and, and you start seeing that this is something which goes back a long time and you, you start trying to figure out, well, what the hell does the oligarch, what's driving this evil? What is motivating them? What are they, what are they thinking? Because uh, it's, it's, it's offensive to, the, to a basic sensitive human mind to, to fathom evil, which is so antagonistic and unnecessary. Um, and you're like, well, do they, do they have secret knowledge that other people don't have? Maybe they're motivated to do something that I couldn't understand because I'm not part of their secret societies. And so you start looking at, you know, well, what do they believe in? Okay. They, they seem to really do things based on numerology. They seem to really be big on that. They seem to be big on, on, um, astronomy or at least astrology, right? They, they tend to conduct their, um, their acts of purgative violence or inside jobs. There, there seems to be a coherence with numerological logic um they're big into sacred geometry they're big into the pentagon right they're they they tend to really and so i i got my hands on uh on a copy of uh, albert pike's morals and dogma i was like i want to read it i want to read it they're into they're into scottish right freemason or, i mean the scottish right freemasons have done a lot of evil right J. Edgar hoover and so many so what's their what's their uh governing formula so i got my hands on a on a copy of the the, the morals and dogma which goes through you know Albert Pike's redefinition of the degrees and the rituals that you have to go through to go from one to another degree all the way up until 32. And I think it's at 32 that you probably are given the last chapter or the last book, you know, uh, where you get to find out what you really signed up for. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, again, it's, it's all spewing with Albert Pike. It's a big book. Um, I got it around here somewhere. Anyway, it's a big book. And, um, he's got all of this, like, he imbues meaning into the number three, the number six, six plus three is, you know, nine. And he imbues, he goes into, he waxes poetic eloquent for like, you know, 40 pages on the purpose of nine and the importance for the dark arts and and all of these things. And, um and, and it's not again, overtly evil when you're reading this stuff, there's, there's like, you know, he's into the Kabbalah he's into, and it, there's always this like veneer of virtue uh, in all of the, in the, the so-called poetry and he talks about the, the, the Pentagon and the, the, the magic of the Pentagon, the power of it and, and the Pythagorean theorem and the magic of that. And I'm like, wow, for a while, I didn't know how to interpret that. I was just kind of like taking notes and trying to figure out again, how is he thinking? And it was only when I started um, hanging out, I, I volunteered a little bit with a, a Montreal branch of, of the LaRouche organization. And, and I found all of a sudden a bunch of young people in that particular uh, venue who were doing actual work on constructive geometry on Plato and Kepler. And they were actually doing the work of, of, uh, and, and somebody asked me like, okay, you're talking about the Pentagon. Cause I, I was like a know-it-all and they're like, Oh, you're talking about the power of the Pentagon and the power of number five and all of these things. And, and, uh, and I did feel like a bit of a know-it-all, you know? And they're like, have you ever built constructed a Pentagon? And they, you know, somebody just challenged me. They're like, here's a, here's a compass. Show me how do you make one? And I'm like, ah, you know, and I did some half-assed attempt that was just completely eyeballing it. Um, and I, it came to my, my realization that I, didn't, I don't know how to do that. I've, I've been talking about this thing, and I realized that Albert Pike also doesn't know how to do that. He's, he's, he's giving you a fait accompli, like, here's a pentagon, and here's all the meaning I'm going to tell you this, is, this thing holds. But he never actually has any knowledge of how do you create a pentagon, or how do you even create a square? You know, right. like, how do you construct a perfect square that you know is going to have 90-degree angles? and divide a circle by four equal quadrants or a triangle how do you just take a circle and divide in three equal quadrants with a pen, with a compass i'm like these basic elementary things i probably should have learned in elementary school or in, in kindergarten I'm like i never i never i never i was just treated the triangle as a, as a fait accompli um, so that that sort of humbled me and i spent a few years just focusing on geometry and astronomy and construction and working through plato's dialogues and I put all of that stuff, the conspiracy st- or the secret society stuff, I sort of put it on the back burner for a little bit to revisit later. And 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 it was good that I did that uh, because then I was able to sort of revisit and sort of see now the clash of these um, two opposing currents in so-called Western science. And like when you read Kepler, one of the key enemies that Kepler has in his life when he is making real discoveries of the harm of the planets around the sun. I mean, how he does it, and he's taking through how his mind is generating its paradoxes and overcoming them through new discoveries and th- and and concepts, hypotheses that he tests and proves are true that become the basis of his three laws. In his writings, he's making he, it's very clear that his enemy is Robert Flood, the leader of Rosicrucianism, um, and these Rosicrucian fr- secret societies of uh, that were penetrating, uh, England, at that time of 1609, 1615. Uh, people like John Dee as well are enemies. Uh, these these occult secret society intelligence operatives. Um, same thing for when you read the writings of Nicholas of Cusa. He's doing battle with these hardcore uh, occult networks who are all, everyone's trying to use the word sacred geometry, harmony. But one school of thought has the words used under an, a, a, an occult um, esoteric gnostic Worldview, which which makes the, the 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 concepts, um. Forever separated from the power of human thought or reason to access. Whereas the 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 better school that makes the the creative discoveries that fights for our freedom, um. And this includes Leibniz. This includes um, I mentioned Kepler, but many others. Edgar Allan Poe is also fighting on the good side here. They're the ones who are actually making the concept of discovery and sacred geometry intelligible, um to human beings as a whole. Benjamin Franklin, his work on science is key in all of this. So um, that that helped me sort of appreciate the, the the epistemological sort of warfare component of geopolitics, which I think is the most important. It's more important than, than economic fights, political fights. It's the fight over I- ideas and the creation of synthetic ideologies that masquerade with truth, but actually have none of it. I saw somebody in the list here um, mention something about the, the tuning, right? Why is there why is there a scientific natural tuning of C two fifty six or A four uh, was it A four thirty two and an unscientific tuning of A four forty, which is jacked up artificially high, as a, as a standard around which we we build our instruments that go into orchestras or that we sing to that could break our voice if it's done unnaturally. Why did the human body evolve to in, in a universe in a space time? That had certain harmonic frequencies embedded as natural bandwidths, right? Around which even like uh you know, spinal doctors even today will use a tuning fork tuned to a uh 232 or or A the same on the same frequency scale. If you go up a little bit, it's A432. Um sorry, C256 or A432 they will use that to find where is a break in the spine of, of a, of a somebody who suffered an injury and where it stops resonating is where they will be able to see that there is now a break in the spine at that place that we have to do surgery. That's a first degree uh, analysis even now. So the body, the, the molecules that, that evolved with us in our particular region of space um, evolved with this, this natural tuning. And when we sing, in, in opera or any type of natural singing, it has to abide by these same principles, right? That that shape the behavior of the planets around the sun, which is there in Kepler. So, I mean, a lot of people will, it's, it's, it's almost like a popular thing in the alternative um, science community these days to, to know this on the surface, but to know scientifically why is it true um, on the work. So I, I, again, was very fortunate to have encountered the Montreal branch of the Schiller Institute. I, I'm not with them anymore, but that was a good learning process. And, uh, and the works of Plato also very like Plato himself said, you know, no one is allowed to go into my Academy right above the, the entry door. It said, let no one enter here who, who has not mastered geometry. And he made a point. You have, if you're going to have the, the ability, the, the, um, the, the power and the responsibility that you will then take on to navigate through dialectic of philosophy, of of justice, of politics, if you're gonna be able to, to have that type of work, you have to create a a foundation of mastering how your mind moves when it makes discoveries in the other domains of, you know, basic two-dimensional, three-dimensional geometry. How do you fit um, how do you fill space in the two-dimensional space versus how does that change when you fill space in a three-dimensional space? Space cubes, or tetrahedra, or icosahedra, or uh, uh, you know, um, like you know, um, uh, dodecahedral uh, shapes with with pentagons on the sides, you know, twelve pentagons. When you start fitting them together, what types of gaps are left? What types of proportions occur mathematically that will give you a better insight into the nature of the again orbits or other um, phenomena of nature? So there is like a rational approach to numerology. These guys were Pythagorean for that reason. That's why Plato was a Pythagorean. The bad approach is the mystical occult approach that say, oh, it's in the number. The the Numbers we're going to a priesthood will imbue meaning into the shape how the cult, uh, the secret society is going to relate to their actions and how they plan things and why they plan things. It's very different because it's one is based on how you expect the universe conform to your priesthood's desires which works for geopolitical interest. The other one is how do we tune ourselves to what the universe already has organized as a quantized universe, right? Not, there's not just any uh, specific amount of, of electrons in an, in an atom. There's, there's a specific quantized amount that are related to each particular um, element that occurs on the periodic table, which has different qualities. Same thing for the, the protons inside the positive charges inside the, the nucleus um, that, that, the, the quantity of them will, will determine certain qualitative uh, effects. These were all generated within our sun. Our sun is pumping out. It's, it's creating these quantized, um, like there's 92 naturally occurring elements on the periodic table. Why isn't there naturally another number? Why was it that? Why is there the, a certain amount of whatever it is, 4,000 or so um, isotopes? Why do some, some elements only have two isotopes? Some have 10 or 12. Why? Right. So the the scientist, the, the scientifically minded, honest person will be provoked to ask the question, why is it the way it is and not some other way that I could imagine? Right. It could be any other way, but it's the way it is. So I'm, they will then be governed by in their inquiry on how do they piece together a solution concept to such questions? Um, somebody who doesn't care will say, OK my mathematics says the universe must behave this way. And so I'm going to assume that the universe does regardless if it does or doesn't. And then you get an economist today saying, you know, it's a great idea to pump a bunch of money into a wall street bank. That's obviously bankrupt and and ignore, or maybe justify the shutdown of our, our agriculture. And they think that that's actually a fine thing to do because they don't know reality that sustains the, the system they're trying to manipulate. They don't know, or they think on a higher level, they're maybe part of the inner echelons and upper elite who think that, Oh, okay. According to my, Secret society dogma. It's actually a great Aquarian age of awakening, where we can now finally create a bifurcation point of society that will justify a mass uh, reduction of the excess useless eaters, and it's the culmination now of this like mil- millenari- millenarian millenarian um, millenarian view of history, which is what the area like the, the theosophist branch off that I mentioned to you, the Aryan uh, theosophists. The, what do you what do you call them? The the Ario um, I'm just forgetting their name. I was the Areosophists, that's it. Um, under uh, which they were a millenarian uh, sect that thought that you know, uh, just like the, 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 the George Bush Christian fundies or the worst elements of Jabotinsky Zionists, they thought that it's man's duty to ultimately usher in an Armageddon. That's how they read their Bible. And to bring in a new age of humanity, of post-human age in conformity with whatever their their doctrine was. And this is what the Nazis believed. That's why the Nazis rewrote the Bible. They had a, a Reich Bible. They called themselves Christian, but they weren't. They, ha- they, were sat- they were actually satanic. And that's why a lot, it's such a big deal that so many of the Nazis um, reorganized themselves after it be- became clear that that version of the New World Order was not going to work out. In 1944, especially, it was becoming clear that 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 plan had to be aborted and the leading Nazis. And again, my Cynthia is going to be going through a lot of this um, in her upcoming, actually, she does go through this in her newly released uh, part five of her, of her series on how the Nazis took over uh, NATO. But if you look at all of the between 19, I think it's 56 and 1983, all of the NATO military commanders in charge of Eastern Europe, every single one of them were, former Nazis and usually very high level SS Nazis um, that also were absorbed by by Alan. We talked about this in in previous shows. They were absorbed by Alan Dulles, who was a part of the operation in 1933 at von von Hindenburg's house where, you know, von Hindenburg, the the non-Nazi chancellor of Germany, was brought into a a castle with von Hindenburg and and Hitler and Himmler and um, and Goebbels and The American delegation of Sullivan and Cromwell had two lawyers who were there at the meeting where Hindenburg said, "Okay, von Schleicher, you're out and uh, Hitler, you're in. And the two lawyers were Allen and his brother, John Foster Dulles, uh, who oversaw that. Um, So this is these are the groups that were working very at a very high level with the nazis they absorbed the nazis the leading worst elements of the nazis a few of them were were uh, sacrificed you know Goering was given a little tablet uh of cyanide before he had to get hung maybe he was carried maybe he got out to argentina too i don't even know but uh some of them were were were, were you know thrown under the bus for public consumption the uh, the rest were absorbed like bandera a nazi collaborator like nicola lebed of, of Ukraine into uh, the Anglo-American intelligence apparatus, they were working with Reinhard Gal- Galen, who became put, you know, he was put in charge of Western German intelligence and much of Eastern Europe too. Um, a lot of these became integrated with the through shell companies. That was actually there was a, a report that was written in 1944 by some leading Nazis, and w- somebody was able to uh, record it, and it became the Red House Report from a meeting at Strasbourg in 44 with uh, SS Obergruppenführer Dr. Scheid, the high, uh, of the highest SS rank, with a bunch of industrialists from IG Farben, Western representatives, who were all part of this meeting, um, where they arranged, and you could read this document even now, it's available, um, where they arranged the economic reconquering of the world after their their military plans were being defeated, and uh, they describe the use of not only shell companies to reorganize themselves behind Volkswagen and 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 BMW and other things. Yeah. Also, in that, mm-hmm. uh, they they lay out the foundation upon which the European Union is created. <laughs> These so, guys never uh, went away, man. No. You remember no, what they
0: said? I don't know who it was. I forgot the name of the Nazi. I don't know if it was. Oh, I don't remember who it was, but they said that we will build the Fourth Reich on the ashes of America.
1: I forgot who said that? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's um that's what they've been doing. I mean, <clears throat> this is the thing, right? Like, there were a lot of, and again, I remember last week we talked about this a little bit. You showed images of Madison Square Garden, New York, of the Nazi rallies. They we had the same thing in uh, in Quebec. Um, eugenics was the scientific expression of this. And, you know, if you look at people like Ben Franklin, uh, Alexander Hamilton, and their writings, the way that they thought of the nature of human beings, they were defending the idea that all human beings, whether Native American, whether white or whether uh, black, all had similar eco- uh, mental uh, powers. If they're given the, the correct economic and, and cultural opportunities, you will get excellence in every type of cultural group. It was a refutation not only of the the foundations of imperial racism, but also the basis upon which the entire depopulation agenda of Malthus, which was already before Malthus, the British Empire were doing population reduction uh, as a matter of of course, because they believed all human beings were made in the image of mud as talking cows that had to be culled whenever the, the populations grew too much. And this is what people like Jonathan Swift was was making fun of polemically, devastatingly uh, in his uh, A Modest Proposal, which is a great satire. People should read it. But he's destroying, you know, he's he's basically saying, okay, well, we're already killing the poor with our economic policies. Um, we have all these dead bodies and, and a lot of them are babies. So let's find a way to maybe like um, deal with like the food crisis a little bit by finding recipes for uh, eating the babies who are dying anyway by our policies. And he, he's like, you know, showcasing a radical cartoonish view of yeah. what the Empire is actually thinking and doing. And it shamed. It, it was hilarious. And it was shame. It shamed a lot of people adequately that it had a huge effect on destroying a lot of the, the population reduction policies of the Hellfire Club, which were, I mean, at the heart of a lot of the secret societies today of the, the pedophile, p- pedophilia rings of the Empire. You had the Hellfire Club then, and, and it still is sort of operating to this very day. And Matt, so a lot I want to clarify I want to clarify I want to clarify something, and I know you can
0: back me up on this. Yeah. A lot of people are like, well, Benjamin Franklin was part of the Hellfire Club. N- no. Franklin no. was sent to spy on the Hellfire Club because he knew what their subversion uh, 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 the things that they were up
1: against, right? But Franklin yeah. was not part of the Hellfire Club. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd say if anybody is, I'm not sure how expensive this book is, but if you could get this online, you, it's worth buying. I would, I would spend up to $100 for this book if it's available. You could probably get it for a lot cheaper, but it's called How the Nation Was Was Won, America's Untold Story, Volume 1, 19, 1630 to 1754, and it, several chapters are on the young Benjamin Franklin as an intelligence operative who was yep. recruited by John Winthrop, um, it, who was at the heart of the entire conspiracy to fight against the Hellfire Club inside of the colonies because there were branches. Ben Ben Franklin's oldest brother, um, I think his name was John Franklin, was actually, he was recruited to the satanic operation and and was trying to found a Hellfire Club in Finland, uh, in in, in, uh, (laughs) Philadelphia. And um, John Winthrop uh, recruits a young Ben Franklin to infiltrate his brother's Hellfire Club in order to fight back against this thing. And, um, and he sends him at a certain point in his early 20s as a young a printer to, uh, to get intel in Britain to see what exactly is this empire planning and doing. And, you know, he played a certain role and he was a counterintelligence guy. And you could see there's a lot of evidence to that effect that this author Graham Lowry uh, puts together. And it's such a wo- wonderful piece of research. Um, but yeah, it's uh, anybody who just wants to... The evil Hellfire Club, uh, ghoul, without has not done the work. They they're just taking things that they've heard other people say that are embedded all over alternative media, um, and even mainstream media too talks about this as well. And it's not true. It's that's a scarecrow. There's there's a higher story to this. So, um, yeah, all that to say there, you no, know, there are good there in history. You will find good people who were Freemasons. You will find yeah. that going back to you know. I'm sure that if you go to Egypt, um, even the origins of Freemasonry. Frederick Schiller writes about this in his "Mission of Moses" uh, Universal History lecture, which has been transcribed, um, 1789, and uh, and he goes through a rational reconstruction of the origins of Freemasonry, which likely had some positive original origins at it at, at its time in a, in a in a that were probably also tied to. Um, um, the reign of Akhenaten, the 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 singular um, monotheist uh, pharaoh of Egypt, right in around uh, it was around 1350 BC, where there's this anomaly where Akhenaten gets rid of all of the the polytheistic pantheon of the Egyptian gods. He creates a new capital. Um, you have a, a renaissance period of the arts in Egypt where you all of a sudden don't have these, these two dimensional images of like symbolic images of hieroglyphs. All of a sudden you have a lot of naturalistic, almost like renaissance realism in the portrait, portraiture and the sculptures uh, around the period of his rule. And, uh, and then he disappears after maybe 20 years of, of ruling, he's disappeared. His enemies take back control. The, the polytheistic gods are reinstated. Um, and a new age of sort of corruption sets in intellectually but the 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 growth the 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 growth of the of freemasonry likely had some positive like i said origins tied to egypt being an, an astronomy hub of the world like they had the the greatest understanding of the cycles of the stars the pyramid of giza itself is a very clear observatory you know and, and there's like several tunnels, tunnels inside the the kings and queens tunnel um, with with two different compartments that when you're inside looking through those tunnels, you could even do stargazing in daytime because the sunlight gets diffused when it goes through these tiny little little perfect tunnels so that you could see the stars in the daytime. Um, so it's an observatory and it was tuning to figure out how do you tune your laws and tune your social organization to the laws of nature and to the heavens. Um, so numerology and other things from that basis this is why Pythagoras studied in Egypt, right? Plato studied in Egypt before bringing back what they learned um, to to Greece or to Italy. Um, so they were, they were, they were, their numerology was based upon a physics of reality, whereas the, the evil guys, they try to make the physics the slave of the number, of the quantity being dominant to the quality. That's why they say today, oh, yeah, we've got infinite multiverses that we can come up with. Right. And that's actually become crappy, idiotic mainstream physics. That's that's but, popularized but, in our in our media with but Marvel. Marvel. But Marvel yeah. said Doctor
0: Strange in the multiverse of doom.
1: Yeah. So you could you could have things like that. People think that this is like science. That we're like, you know, you could have a slightly different version of you in another universe that parallels your own. And that every universe that could possibly exist in this scientific, pseudo-scientific way of thinking, which is more religious than anything else. Anything right. that could exist already has existed in, in some other parallel universe. And so if everything exists, here's the sle- the sleight of hand. Eh? If everything exists, what is true? What's the meaning of truth? Well, there is no truth. Exactly. There is no truth. Right? In another and universe, right the there, gravity is upside down. Right. And that right there is the ultimate
0: nugget of truth for Lucifer's doctrine in and of itself. It, yeah. it falls it, it falls perfectly to do that wealth because there's no truth. You know what is truth? Did God really tell you, you you can't eat that fruit? Did he really tell you that? You sure? You see? It's it's unbelievable, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. People no, suck. exactly. It's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. So that's the nature of the game, right? It's uh, to be – we people have to just appreciate the, the battle of the mind, right? Uh, the oligarchy is paying a lot of attention to the battle of the mind. Uh, you're the target. We're all, we're all yeah. living in it, and that's the number one battle. And if we can get on top of that, which you do by reading Plato, if you read Plato, you read Schiller, but you especially read Plato and, and you, you, he's training you to have a relationship with how your mind works when it's in a healthy state of growth of creative uh, momentum, which involves patience. You got to sometimes, you know, wait for a, a, a Eureka bang to hit, but he's he's training you on how to like smell out the right questions where what does it look like to pose a wrong question? Because there are such things as wrong questions, questions right. you, you shouldn't be asking because you should know better. <laughs> you, 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 or you, or you should have thought about something that you could have known yourself instead of asking the question. Um, so Plato teaches you on how to do that, and thus when you're doing that, um, you become more sovereign. And as you become more sovereign, like that's the definition of w- of wisdom, right? Um, you're you're more able to then make decisions not only about your own identity but also about the society, you know, your family unit, your community, your society. Around you, like what would be the pathways available to us that would bring us out of a storm, or how do we avoid creating a storm for ourselves? Which we should have. None of this is necessary, you know. Like certain bad decisions were made from people who skipped steps um, and didn't didn't use their their mental powers properly and created right. uh, a an, a structure of 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 an, an edifice that they they expected their kids and grandkids, that's us and and the younger ones, to live in that was actually deficient and was going to collapse on them which uh, is happening now. So, and then we have this other structure. Then we have Russia, China, we have India, India, we have Iran, we have all of these other ancient civilizations who are waking up to this reality. They've gotten out of the burning house. They've created a viable alternative structure with a different paradigm completely, which is viable. It's actually premised on principles of natural law that are provably the case. They're creating wealth. They're not just extracting or destroying wealth by creating wealth. They're actually creating real wealth. Their monetary system is tied to um, the growth of the real economy, the, the uplifting of people out of squalor. Um, so say what you will about, you know, what you don't like about China or Russia's green energy policy or like how they're, why are they not calling out man-made global warming as being an evil fraud or why are they not calling out COVID as being like an evil thing? Um, there's another reason. There, there's a fight going on. And if you're thinking on that lower level because you just want to have like total satisfaction, uh, that the truth is literally going to be said When there's a real world fight and they're dealing with insanity, like Russia and China are dealing with crazy all over the place, including their own embedded deep state structures, especially in Russia. China has de-weeded their deep state garden quite a bit, but Russia still has a bit more of the weeds uh, that they're still dealing with on top of crazy and Nazis, open Nazis, um, religiously motivated outside and all around the periphery (laughs) that they're trying to negotiate with without going to nuclear war. That that takes a some finesse. That's, that takes a lot of finesse, sure. man. Yeah.
0: That takes a lot of finesse, yeah. but but China's economy is collapsing, Matt, because you know they locked down Shanghai because of COVID. That, that so yeah. their economy is imploding, and uh, and yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. People actually say that shit, eh? Right? I mean. But that's the thing it's like yeah their economy is not based it's like if if, if we did that we would collapse because we, like, and, their and, Shanghai and, is like we did that tree. and we
0: are collapsing we're imploding
1: yeah none of the numbers yeah, coming are. out is true and for them they, they didn't hinge their economy on on their real estate market or speculation they didn't do that like we did so they have a real economy like 90 percent of the money in circulation in china is tied to the like Glaziev has gone through this at depth with the figures yeah. and the statistics. Ninety percent of the money that is circulated within the the Chinese economy that's monetized through the, the state-run banks goes to expanding real production. It's the tied to the real economy, whereas like that that and that's the problem for he, us it's like one in huh that's the problem because ninety
0: nine cents of every dollar that we create, Matthew, goes to our speculative bubble. So that's where we're a more advanced economy the inversion. And they're yes. stupid, and we're smart. hey. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. This is why, when the collapse does happen here, I don't know how this country is going to pull out. I don't know how this country is going to pull together. I don't know. Will it be balkanization? See, w- once you've gutted your physical economy to the level that it's been gutted, you lose that tribal knowledge that that physical economy used to have cuz all the guys that used to make amazing stuff like people always wonder why do we make crappy shitty products like an F35 or a Zumwalt destroyer or any sort of military hardware right now which is an a- absolute utter piece of crap why do we do that well all the guys that knew how to build stuff during the cold
1: war they're all either dead or they're retired yeah that's and the And now real you places. got nerds
0: oh, yeah
1: no, I mean, it's like you need to, at this point, get the, you know, for a while, the Chinese were, were they, they were copying from American technologies yeah. for, for a few decades, and they now were. they've like, they, they're pioneering on every degree. And it's like, we're going to have to get some Chinese uh, engineers to come and, and teach, teach us how to do things again. And what um, we're doing is we're purposely making them our enemies
0: when they don't want to be. So when the well, collapse does happen, yeah. the only hope is for the Russians to come in with their petroleum engineers, show us how to cultivate real energy sources once again, right? And metallurgy and all the other things, and composites, which they're so damn good at and adept at. And not to mention computer coding. They're, they're phenomenal at that as well. Yeah. Then you got the Chinese that could really teach us high-speed rail, infrastructure building, all these things. Nope. Nope. Our leaders are so smart that we are in a lifeboat, right? It's, it's like the ship is sinking, and what they're doing is that these idiots are punching holes in the lifeboat. So everybody's trying to run to life, some sort of a lifeboat. Hey, we'll get China and the Russians to help us out. What? We've shattered and splintered and punched holes into that relationship? We can't even go there? Like, who's left? Wh- who are we going to turn to, the idiot Europeans? We're going to be eating croissants as the ship sinks? My God. <laughs> At least the coffee will be good on the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> <Here. laughs> That's one thing we have oh, to offer man. the world, uh, Matt. Co- good coffee. We have good coffee here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're in Montreal. Oh, you have to
0: find some of the finest coffee in God's green you earth. Know, My God. Mean, it's God.
1: It's, 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 they, they said it. It's the comfiest gulag. Johnstone who said that, but it's true. It's it's a really – I mean, oh, I can't, so you I got can't got the travel, comfy travel anything, gulag. but I'm, I'm, I got the nicest coffee and croissants here in Montreal. It's great. That's and what news. I'm
0: saying, bro. Yeah. You You got the nicest comfort gulag, and we have the casino gulag. It's wonderful.
1: <laughs> oh, no, man, it's uh, it's really quite. I mean, I don't know exactly. I know in general principle terms what can and must happen if the U.S. is not going to uh, collapse into a dark age. Um, a lot of it, ironically, it was already um, begun. If you look at the policies, the comprehensive policies that Donald Trump was putting into, into practice, into action. Um, it gives you a template of the sort of thing that scares the oligarchy that could, if reactivated, it could work. It would work. And I'm talking about here, the restoration of protectionism, which was a total defiance of the World Trade Organization, um, which legalizes protectionism. But yet it's, it's it, that's the basis of every country's right to existence is to use protectionism to favor the growth of their agro-industrial local enterprises and stop the you know, the cheap dumping of goods. So that's, that's what the overthrow of NAFTA was all about, the restoration of national protectionism. The idea of uh, Arctic development by, you know, Trump's executive order to build rail from the lower, lower 48 states up into Alaska via Alberta, which is the only viable province right now um, which could play a role. It's just that they don't, you know, Jason Kenney, the premier, is scared scared shitless um, and has nobody to work with. So he's going along with bad stuff. But, you know, if you when you had a viable policy coming out of a, of a president that didn't want to kill Americans. Um, he was happy to work with that and to provide the rail through Alaska again via uh, Alberta, which would have opened up the Arctic for mutual collaboration and development with the with the Russians and with the Chinese instead of militarizing it, which is the current Biden strategy and Trudeau strategy is to set up uh, you know ballistic missiles pointed at Russia from the north. Um, the U.S.-China trade agreement, which went into effect January 2020, which involved China offering to buy $350 billion of U.S. finished goods as part of the rehabilitation process after 60 years of, of self-mutilation and decay of the U.S. That's what Trump had negotiated with behind the scenes. Right. He detached the, US, like the CIA from the U.S. conventional military forces. Um, he defunded the NED regime change operations in Hong Kong, Xinjiang, Ukraine, everywhere else. Um, the former ambassador to Ukraine under Trump who testified at Trump's impeachment trial? Forgot her name, but she even said if Trump was in still office, there would be no Russian military invasion of Ukraine, and that's a bad thing. She said, which is why it's so great Trump is out, because like that doesn't make sense. But she said it, um, but it's true. You know the space program, the the Artemis Accords, based upon an idea of the sovereign, like sovereign nation state. Process governing the 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 strategizing for an international space plan Mm -hmm. with a a look towards cooperation with the East that's vital. I mean, all these things were what Trump was putting online the 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 defunding of the World Health Organization. Um, It doesn't matter if you've got a bunch of vaccines floating floating around if you don't have a World Health Organization imposing their will onto you. It doesn't matter. It's like having you know people say, "Oh yeah," but Trump invested in world record levels of military spending to build bombs it's like yeah but he didn't create any wars and he didn't create a climate which would use the bombs to kill people so you know it's very different um if anything he took the 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 fire out of north korea by having hamburgers with with kim jong-un brokered the the unification process that was that's now been totally sabotaged with the south um which also destroyed the reason the raison d'etre for the U.S. Thad Missile Shield to be in South Korea or the U.S. BioLabs to be in South Korea in the first place. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's already... It, people don't need to create something from scratch. It's like the process of what is viable has already been done. And if the, the only viable part of the U.S. That, that has any chance in hell of being redemptive is located within that better part of the Republican Party that is not neocon um that has to get their shit together tighten up their 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 game a lot better so that they stop believing in the steve bannon worldview or epoch times worldview that china is the big enemy of of everything um and just start seeing that the only viable battle that's happening against the oligarchy is from russia china iran india but mostly russia and china that's the only viable battle and if you're not battling if you're not using that to your advantage and you're instead seeing water as your enemy when your house is on fire which is what they've done to us, right? They got us to be right. convinced that water is our enemy. <laughs> and it's yep, like that's, yep. a, that's exactly, exactly the only solution.
0: <laughs> I mean, yep. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, very well yep. said, man. We're a house on fire, and they're the water that can put us out and, and, yeah. and help us get back on track, but they won't do it. They won't do it. Matthew Eric, the man, the myth, the brain himself. Folks, go to his website, CanadianPatriot.org, RisingTideFoundation.net. Buy his books, Matt. Show off that beautiful cover of Volume Three. Oh, I don't was, have volume, volume one
1: oh, but it's there. Okay. Oh, here it is. You know what? I do have it. Buy the books. And in fact, this is like the 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 recipe for the the, the putting out the fire. And uh, here we got Ben Franklin, and you got uh, the New Silk Road behind him, the Birth of the Eurasian Manifest Destiny. Um, all three volumes you can get them on the CanadianPatriot.org website. Uh, if you want a signed copy, give me an email, info at net, And uh, my wife and I, who co-wrote that, will also sign them, send them to you. They're a bit expensive for shipping and handling, but Amazon. And, uh, yeah, otherwise, people got to think. Now's the time to think. <laughs> yep.
0: Very well said. And with that
1: being said, folks, we are over and out. Check back here
0: next week when Matthew Art will return with more mind-blasting information, folks. Mind-blasting. Not blowing, but absolutely blasting. With that being said, we're over and out.